not about proving anymore. It's not about having to get a seat at the table. It's time for us to create the table. It's time for us to create the opportunities and to do it in a new paradigm that isn't masculine and driven and only results oriented, but actually in a collaborative in a collaboration in something yeah. bigger than what we can just see i mean the feminine to me is so deep so mystical so beautiful mm -hmm. and this is the conversation that i want to be part of so i don't think feminism and feminine go against each other in yeah. any way yeah. it's just about the feminist movement was needed and is still needed Hi everyone, and welcome to season two of The New Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Judith Rich. I'm excited to be back with you and looking forward to sharing a whole new season of interesting guests with topics that will inspire and provoke you to see the world, yourself, and your life with new eyes. And guess what? I've even cooked up a surprise for you. As part of my 80th birthday legacy project, I'm offering listeners a free gift from my new Musings and Meditations audio series. Just go to my website, judithrich.com, and claim your free gift. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Also available for purchase is the entire series, Musings and Meditations. These are original pieces of my writing set to music that integrate the wisdom and experience gained from nearly 50 years as a leader in the field of consciousness and transformation. Look for a link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. Welcome back to The New Beyond. I'm your host, Judith Rich, and I'm excited to welcome my guest today, Shazia Imam. Shazia is an award-winning speaker and host of the podcast, Feminine and Fulfilled, also known as The Life Engineer. Shazia is an ICF certified life coach, but her previous life back in another part of her, of her journey was as an engineer with two decades of experience working in Fortune 500 companies. She was recognized as woman of the year in her engineering department and went on to become an award-winning management consultant with 20 years of experience working in Fortune 500 companies. However, her soul's calling called her to leave her corporate job and strike out in search of supporting women to unleash their authentic selves and live purposefully. Welcome, Shazia. I'm really excited to meet you here in the new beyond. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here in the new beyond and curious to see what happens here. Where do we go from here? You know, I've, I've been snacking on episodes of your podcast. So first of all, I want to say to me, you are a pioneer in the podcasting world since your, uh, your podcast has been out there since 2018. You've got 170 some episodes. And I am just, I am agog. Is that a word? <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. I, I'm, a, word, yes. I'm agog <laughs> at your, just at your vision that put you on that path 
this amazing, wonderful podcast, you know, with all of these episodes with juicy women exploring various aspects of femininity and women's leadership and women in wealth. And you do a whole segment on F word monologues, Mm -hmm. which I want to get into with you. And the first episode, the very first episode of your podcast was something about confessions of an imperfect woman, something like that, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Which suggests to me that, did you grow up with expectations around being perfect? And one day you woke up and realized you weren't that. (laughs) What, What was that about? Yeah, so I grew up in a um, in an Indian family with a father who had a lot of expectations, as is typical for those of us with Indian families. And um, just to give you context, I disappointed my father by becoming an engineer because he wanted me to be a doctor. So some <laughs> high pressure there. Also, for some reason, I really liked check boxes. So for me, I wanted to check off all those check boxes and get it right because I thought if I checked off those boxes, I would be happy and perfect at the end of it. And your parents would be proud of you. They would be proud. I would have made it. Yes. I would have made it. That was a big thing for me. I wanted to make it in the world. I wanted to prove myself. Yeah. This is such a myth that women grow up with, right? Uh, You know, so much of my work with women has been supporting them to really uncover the myths that they have grown up with as truths Mm -hmm. rather than expectations that got layered on them by, you know, loving parents, teachers, friends, and, uh, you know, other impactful people and adults in their lives. And the day when one finally wakes up and realizes, wait a minute, that's not my life I'm living. Yes. That's the life someone else expected me to be living, but that's not really who I am. I'm guessing that's what happened for you. Am I right? Absolutely. You know, that first episode, um, Confessions of an Imperfect Woman, was such a coming out for me because I had been this very private, guarded, put together, looked great on paper. If you met me, very put together in front of you. But did you really know me? Did you know like what was really happening inside? You know, Mm -hmm. because we all have a story, but nobody actually knew mine. Yeah. And when I recorded that episode, it was in my old childhood bedroom, in my parents' house, actually. And I just shared Because my journey was really about letting go of the pretenses, letting go of that perfectly perfect exterior and showing up authentically as myself. And as cliche as authentic has almost become nowadays, Mm -hmm. it was really important for me because I wasn't showing up fully as who I was. One, because I wanted to be seen in a certain way. And two, I actually didn't think people cared. I didn't think people cared about what I thought or what I had to say. So I had these two pieces that kept me from actually showing up as who I was. And that episode to this day is my favorite because I just let it out 
And I've been letting it out ever since. <laughs> yes, you have. <laughs> you know, I, I'm doing a series of a podcast series of which this is one on courageous leadership in the new beyond. And, you know, the new beyond is that place in consciousness that we are, that we are moving into, which is, you know, not defined by anything that came before. It's the crumbling of the old systems, the patriarchal structure and systems is crumbling as we speak. We're the ones on the planet who yes. are here holding this space of humanity as we're experiencing very viscerally, you know, systems that have been in place for thousands of years, unraveling, if you will. And of course, the pandemic was like the triggering event. You know, I can't, I've been on the planet 80 years. I have, I have. Yes. You look amazing, Judith. <laughs> Girl, okay. Yeah, yeah. Really? I'm in my own new beyond. <laughs> <laughs> when I crossed, when I hit my 80th birthday, I hit my own new beyond. And that was actually the inspiration slash vision slash motivation that had me start this podcast. Mm. Uh, because I, I really wanted to have a platform and an outlet to express, you know, who, not only who I am, but who we are now, we're not even post pandemic. You know, we thought we were coming to the end of the pandemic. And a lot of people thought that we would be returning to some semblance of normality and we're not, <laughs> we're, we're actually circling back with all the new variants. I don't know how it is where you live, but where I live, we're kind of going back into mask mandates, some cities, um, you know, I live in the East Bay of the Bay Area of California mm. near Berkeley. Berkeley is back to mask mandates. I had to show vaccination status to go into a restaurant over the weekend. So we're there. I mean, we're still there. We're in this holding place and we don't know what it's going to look like when we come out of this. But what we do know is it isn't going to look anything like it was before. And so whatever that new chapter is, I'm calling the new beyond. And I think of, I think of Rumi's poem, which really inspired what I decided to call this podcast, where he invites us to meet him in that field out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing. There's a field, I'll meet you there. Mm. And that field, I call the new beyond. So you and I are meeting there. Mm. It's a place in consciousness. It's a place where you're already out there. And I'm really interested as you know, as I contemplate, okay, so what, what is needed in the new beyond in terms of leadership and certainly for women for, you know, who do we get to be? Who are we being called to be as leaders? Because I know that's a context that you operate in. You certainly operate in that domain as far as supporting women 
stepping into and own, owning their voice and their power and their leadership. Um, and so in your own podcast, Feminine and Fulfilled, mm-hmm. um, you do a series of what you call F word monologues. Mm-hmm. And just in general, just in general, could you talk about your intention with the F word monologues? Because it's not what listeners think it is, right? Yes. Um, when you hear me record the episodes, my intro is always, and today I'm doing the F word monologue where I dissect the F word, but probably not the one you're thinking of. And right. so it's just, it's a little, you know, it's a fun play on words. And I always do a different F word, like frustration or frame or um, finances. I even have one titled fart. This is really where I talk about everything. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, there's one I wanted to kind of dive into with you where you talk about um, feminine versus feminist, Mm -hmm. or I think the title of that monologue is feminist. And you unpack your thoughts about feminist, your feelings and your thoughts about it. And then you make, you contrast it with feminine, which is the name of your podcast, Feminine and Fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to dive into that with you because I did my doctoral dissertation on the future of feminism. You did. Where do we go from here? And I'm a, you know, I'm a couple of generations older than you are. My feminist roots go back to, I was a young woman in my thirties when Betty Friedan wrote The Feminine Mystique, when um, Gloria Steinem, was coming up when she started Ms. Magazine. That was actually the second wave of feminism. So I came of age during uh, during a time of real blossoming and blooming and coming into the mainstream of feminism when the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, was first written it's still not law in the US. Women still are not considered equal under the law. Wow. And so I have a probably quite a different take on feminism than you do. And since you're a couple of generations of feminist influence later than I am. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like I'm a big sister in feminism to you. Mm-hmm. And my generation of feminists are the ones who really paved the way. Absolutely. For my, you know, for the current generation of women today. And so I'm really curious to hear, to have this conversation with you about feminists and feminine go. Yes. Oh gosh. I love this topic. And first of all, I want to thank you, Judith. And I want to thank the pioneer women before us, including yourself and people of your generation before, after who have paved the way truly for me to be having this conversation today, because I have the privilege to be talking about the feminine because women came and talked about feminism. We needed that. We still need it today. Let's not, you know, let's not Mm -hmm. be naive here. We still Mm -hmm. need it. 
what I want to talk about in relation to feminine is actually taking it back. To me, if I think about the feminist movement, what was really important about the feminist movement is if you think of a pendulum, when a pendulum swings to come back to balance, a pendulum has to go all the way to the other side. And what we experienced, um, I didn't experience it as in person, but as a society, what had happened for way too long is what we call a patriarchy, right? I mean, mm -hmm. men have been running things, women were expected to be in certain roles, they didn't have opportunities. And what was really important is that the pendulum had to swing, especially here in the US, this is where I grew up, mm -hmm. where women had to show up almost like men, right? Like to make it, they had to come into the workplace like men, because, and what I mean, I just want to preface this. I'm speaking in very gender stereotyped ways. I'm not trying to be um, non-PC here, but it was really important that women had to show up in a suit, aggressive, being able to match the men in their energy because otherwise, what was their role? A secretary, mm -hmm. a housemaker, mm -hmm. um, somebody who was only worth half a vote, right? There was so much that had to be overcome that we had to sw swing the pendulum all the way to the other side. Mm -hmm. And when I think about the feminist movement, I think of that. And I'm so appreciative to the brave women who were able to pave the way in so many industries where men were just dominating. So the same analogy of the pendulum is that when the pendulum can come back to balance, it can come and just sit, right? Mm -hmm. This is where I would love to see us go as a society. And this is where I believe we can start talking about the feminine and masculine in more of an esoteric way. We can start talking about the energies rather than just trying to be seen and valued. So to me, when I think about the feminine and this role that I'm playing, I feel that I was born at the right time because I don't know if I would have had the courage to really go head to head like with a man in masculine energy and try to be that way. Because when I think about now the feminine energy and I think about Mother Earth, who to me encapsulates the feminine energy so beautifully, that's what I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about the feminine in still being powerful. Mother Earth doesn't just sit like pretty all day. Mm -hmm. She has storms, she rages, she, you know, there's typhoons and storms, and then there's beautiful days, and then there's earthquakes, earthquakes, <laughs> there's earthquakes, there's all sorts of stuff. And she doesn't stop to say, Oh, excuse me, excuse me, is this okay? Yeah, yeah. This is the energy that that I believe we are in the time and age to be able to talk about this because it's not about proving anymore. It's not about having to get a seat at the table. It's time for us to create the table. It's time for us to create the opportunities and to do it in a new paradigm that isn't masculine and driven and only results oriented, but actually in a collaborate in a collaboration in something yeah. bigger than what we can just see i mean the feminine to me is so deep so mystical so beautiful mm -hmm. and this is the conversation that i want to be part of so i don't think feminism and feminine go against each other in yeah. any way yeah. it's just about 
the feminist movement was needed and is still needed. Now let's not talk about how we're going backwards right now. It's still needed more than ever. Okay. Yeah. And the feminine, I believe, is what can give us that core grounded strength to move forward in a beautiful way. You know, another, I really appreciate what you just shared, um, Shazia. It's really beautiful. And I'm a thousand percent aligned with that distinction and that understanding. In fact, that is exactly the conclusion that I came to in my PhD dissertation, which was the future of feminism is not about substituting the patriarchy with matriarchy. Mm-hmm. It, 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 is, it is about a, a blending and emerging and a balancing of masculine and feminine energies. And so, and having said that, another one of your F word monologues was on frustration. I want to tie these two together mm-hmm. because women are frustrated today. You know, we have lost a basic right guaranteed by our constitution. When the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, we are suddenly facing um, perilous times. And so women are out there on the street protesting. Women are angry, women are scared, women are upset, women are frustrated. So there's a place for that as well, isn't there? We can still be feminine and we can have our voices and we can use our voices in powerful ways. Um, And I was curious about what you said in your F word monologue on frustration, because you talked about expressing anger. And that is something that I think is not, women have not been taught to feel anger, express anger. It's not feminine to express, you know, it immediately casts us in the box of masculine Mm -hmm. if we express anger. So I wanted to just put that on the table because I know you did an episode about that. And how do we embrace our frustration and our anger in current times right now? when we are seriously, our very lives are being threatened. I mean, no kidding. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, we've gone backwards like centuries. I can't even believe it. I, I mean, for a, a country that's supposed to be so advanced, let's be honest, that's really, that is just taking us back. But let me not get too deep because I think we both agree. <laughs> that is just so wrong what's happening. So to your question about frustration, this is really important. And you had said something earlier that I want to tie it back to where you were speaking about, um, you know, how will leadership look now, right? Mm -hmm. Like where we're moving to. And I think as women, especially, it's really important that we allow ourselves to be angry because that conditioning of be good, hold it back, don't be too much, no. Again, let's go back to mother nature. She's saying to anybody, um, raising her hand, is it okay? Is it okay <laughs> now to bring this like weather front? No, she knows what's needed. Mother, mother nature knows that that what we would call anger or what we would call intensity, right? Mm-hmm. If we yeah. talk about weather, yeah. she understands that that intensity is needed, that sometimes you need to clear things 
with the storms. You yes. need that for the environment to thrive. And as women, we get to really harness that and take that back and understand that anger is something that can really propel us forward. It can take something that we are very passionate about. And instead of just being um, domicile, which I think a lot of the patriarchy wanted for women, instead mm -hmm. of being domicile, we can take that passion and change things. So to me, harnessing the anger, whether it's on um, a political scale or a global scale, or just even within your own self. Sometimes we need that anger to, to get clarity on what's moving me in life right now. What is it that I want to do next in my life? Anger is something so beautiful that instead of judging it, instead of trying to stuff it away, instead of thinking it's something bad, that allowance, the more that we do that as women of all of our emotions, this to me is how we can really be leaders and really make the change in the world. Yeah. You know, I'm seeing this from the perspective of an elder, which I am, one that was in an earlier generation of feminism. I was out there in the streets marching back in the day, holding up the signs and all of that. And what I'm, what I'm encouraged by as I am witnessing what's happening today, and, and I'm, you know, I'm really right there in it myself, is that I think this is a rite of passage. It's like an initiation. You know, women of your generation and younger women who are, I mean, for me personally, I'm well beyond childbearing age. My children are beyond childbearing. I mean, my children are mature women in their 50s. They're both beyond childbearing age. So it's not impacting me personally, except I do have a granddaughter who's nine years old. It will impact her. But women of your age and younger, this is a major, major impact. And so I think this is a rite of passage and an, an initiation into women standing up and using their voices and being empowered. I mean, you know, certainly I think leadership in the new beyond, the next generation or the next iteration of leadership is definitely going to involve strong females leading the way, you know? Yes, yes. And I think a big part of this too, that's really that I think is a distinction that has helped me, helped me stay focused is that for a long time, at least for myself, I wanted a seat at the table. I really did. I wanted somebody else to accept me. I wanted the uh, proverbial white man to accept me, this brown petite mm -hmm. girl, right? Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. And then I realized at some point, I don't need to be accepted. I'm going to create my own goddamn table. <laughs> And I'm going to invite you and I'm going to invite all the other women. And then I don't even want you to just have a seat at my table. I want you to then go create your own tables. Yes, that is that is leadership. And that's feminine leadership because it is collaborative. Yes. And it's about decimating out into into community, into the world. And this is where I am very passionate about women creating their own tables. And that comes from leadership. It comes from wealth. It comes from power. It comes from moving forward and what matters to you 
and going all in because I cannot fight the entire patriarchy. I can't fight entire systems and nor am I interested, nor trust me, I like to enjoy my life too. Like I don't want to just be fighting all the time. (laughs) My table is also really fun and, you know, lots of good things happening, but it is so much more strategic in my opinion to create the power than to fight the power. Oh, this beautiful. Is, is my opinion. Bam. Like, mic drop. Mic drop <laughs> right there. Yes, I think definitely this is a distinction of leadership in the new beyond, which is really what I've been talking about for several episodes here, that it will be collaborative, that it must be collaborative, that it can no longer be hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, it, it, they're, they're, you know, it's, it's like bottom up kind of leadership where you're talking about, you know, women creating their own tables and empowering women to not only sit at their table, but empowering them to create their own tables. I just love that analogy. It's such a, it's such a great visual, such a great image. And one of the things you mentioned was women creating their own wealth. Yes. So part of women in leadership and women's empowerment is women transforming their relationship with abundance, scarcity, money, and wealth. Go. (laughs) You know, one of the things that has been so fascinating to me about the patriarchy, and it's funny, I don't actually use that word a lot, but it's a, it is the word. The funniest thing to me or fascinating thing about the patriarchy is that it stifled two things for women, wealth, right? By not, you know, not allowing women to work or not giving them opportunities or things like overturning Roe v. Wade, which we know is just going to cause women to have a lower socioeconomic status. Okay. Like, so all of these things all related to money. The other thing is related to, um, sexuality. And I know we're not really going to talk about that today, but these two things, wealth. Well, we can, why not? (laughs) Why not? I mean, because they go hand in hand, wealth and sexuality, wealth and sex are two things that we have made very taboo for women, very taboo. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. why? Because a woman who is fully sexually expressed and a woman who is wealthy is a powerful woman. Mm -hmm. And a threatening woman, a threatening woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's interesting to me how the patriarchy has completely made these two things so vile. I'm using a strong word, but so vile that even women have bought into this notion too. Yes. Yes. That's the thing. It's not even like all of us women are like, yes, like we want to be fully expressed and we want to, you know, we want to be wealthy. We are perpetuating that idea also. And we, I think we also, I think there's also a mindset out there that we are threatened by other women who are in ownership of their sexuality, of their femininity, of their power, women who are successful, women who have made, you know, uh, lots of money. Yeah, I, I think that women who are still operating from their own consciousness of scarcity are threatened by other women. And so I think we have work to do just with as women with each other. Yes. 
I agree. You know, people will say that to me all the time. Women are catty. And I'm like, no, women who are not confident are catty. Yeah. And again, what's the best thing you can do to a woman? Make her not confident. Make her feel less than. Make her feel that way that then she feels she's in competition. But this is all made up. Yes. This is all made up. So coming back to the wealth thing, let me stay focused on one thing because I can I can talk about women all day. I'm so <laughs> passionate. But let me speak about wealth. By simply shifting money from being something taboo, the idea of abundance and wealth, and let's just say money, because even the word money, people kind of skirt around. Mm-hmm. By allowing that to not be a taboo conversation, this is life-changing. We're talking about bre- breaking generational oh, traumas. Indeed, indeed. We're talking about breaking societal issues. I mean, so many things simply by allowing women to become wealthy and allowing for the woman out there right now who might be thinking, oh, but I don't care about money. Oh, I'm, I, I care about helping people. Wonderful. You can help people more when you have more money. <laughs> and you can help people and make money doing it. <laughs> exactly. Let's not negate it. Let's not villainize it. It is a tool that with women with wealth, we will change the world. And so to me, women having money, it, it, it like, that makes me happy. I love it. I love seeing women become successful. I love when a woman is able to negotiate a higher salary or make money in her business or create that entity that is doing so well, because then you hear all of the other things she's doing too. Yes. And it is um, a demonstration of the consciousness of abundance which is only, which is not only about money. It, it's about friendships. It's about health. Yes. You know, it's about all the other aspects. It's about fulfillment as you, as you, uh, you know, as you address in your podcast as well, you know, that shift from fear and scarcity and not enoughness, which, you know, we both know that so many women are blocked, are stuck, are, kind of frozen in their own unfolding, in their own development, stopped by all the inner conditioning and programming, uh, you know, that end up, you know, that kind of result in the inner conversation of, I'm not worthy, I'm not deserving, I, I, you know, I can't, I can't step up, I can't meet the bar, I can't tell you how many women I am currently coaching who have that conversation of, I don't, I can't, I'm afraid to use my voice. I'm afraid if I use my voice, I'll offend someone, you know, like we need permission to use our voice for fear of offending someone. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of work to do, don't we? We do. And, and, you know, I would say it's, You, you said something that I really want to emphasize around wealth and abundance. We really get to understand that we are deserving of a wealthy life. And money is just one part of it. Fulfillment, friendship, love, all of this. I mean, we, we get to have all of this. And 
one of the things to me is the greatest revolution, at least for me, when I think about my life, is to be a woman who's herself and enjoyed her life. Because we've been taught to not enjoy, to be a martyr, to feel less than, to yeah. feel all of these things. And I, I love this idea of, and this is getting really deep here, but what if I didn't even have to cause or create any change? What if I could simply be? What if I and, could simply be? And, we and that, do that, right. And that you simply being me simply being us giving ourselves permission to be, you know, that we are the ones who grant ourselves permission. You know, I, I, I experience that this isn't, only true of women. I think this is also true of men. So lest we, lest the men listening think that, you know, you're being left out of this conversation. This is about you too, that we somehow, you know, as children, we, you know, we want to please our parents. We want acceptance. We want love. So, you know, we try to do the right thing. We want to please our teachers. We want to get along with our friends we learn to look outside ourselves for permission mm -hmm. to want what we want, to be who we are, to do the right thing. I'm making air quotes around the word right. Mm -hmm. um, and we do not, it, you know, for many, for so many people, the realization, the recognition that we are the permission granting uh, entity, we are the only we are the only one authorized, in fact, to give ourselves permission yes. to be worthy, to have a voice, to, to speak and express ourselves, to own our power. There is nobody else out there that has the agency for us and for our lives. We alone have our own agency. And that is such a, seems to be a place where I experience a lot of people, men and women alike, get stuck at really grokking that, you know, that they, that they are their own authority to grant themselves permission to be who they are. And then from that place to create what they, what they came to the planet to create, mm -hmm. to own their power and their voice. Absolutely. That was the greatest shift in my own life was realizing that I do have that agency, that I was the one holding myself back. Were there circumstances and stories that I could say this and this happened outside of myself? Yes, there is truth to all of that. There is so much working against so many people. And yet when I realized I didn't, I could accept that those were true, but they didn't have to define me. Mm -hmm. That I could then choose to decide, as I shared earlier, instead of feeling like, well, nobody's going to invite me to their table, mm -hmm. that I got to choose to create my own table. Mm -hmm. I can yes. go out there and create it. And yes. that is that is real empowerment. And that I could create a table that I wanted, that looked like a table I wanted to be at. That yes. was appealing. So this coming back to myself, giving that permission, 
allowing myself to be expressed, allowing myself to simply be me, really. I mean, it, it's been the greatest catalyst of change in my life. And it's, it seems so hard and so easy at the same time. It, mm. it's, it's both, right? Because mm-hmm. of what happens in our own inner dialogue. Right, right. You know, you did an episode. Um, I can't remember if it was early on or later on in your, in your podcast. You've got a lot of them. But you did one episode on the overachiever. And I listened to that episode. I actually listened to it while I was on my walk this morning. And I thought it was such an interesting conversation you were having with your guest. Um, I'm sorry to admit that I don't remember the name of your guest you had that um, conversation with, but it was about the overachiever and how women are being burned out. Um, And, you know, the question that came up for me was, how, how, how does one be an overachiever? <laughs> what, what is overachieving? I mean, is there a cap? Mm-hmm. Is there a limitation? Is there a glass ceiling that caps our level of achievement that I know what you're going to say, but I just wanted to throw that out there to be a little devil's advocate with you about but this. This is, this is why you are the wise one, right? This is why you're the master <laughs> at leadership, because what a fantastic question. What an interesting term that we do villainize, actually. We'll be like, oh, I'm an overachiever. Let me yeah. not be. But yes, you're right. Why are we putting a cap? Why do we consider ourselves overachieving? I mean, to me, that suggests, wait a minute. So I came up to a certain bar and that's as far as I can go. And if I go over that, then I'm overachieving. I think not. That's your mic drop. I need some, I need some time to process this because that is a very good point. And I love words. That is very interesting. So Let's take that word out because you are correct. (laughs) uh, Let's achieve as much as we want. I think the conversation is around the not enoughness. When will we feel enough? And what happens when there's always something, at least for me, it was always like another checkbox, another checkbox, another checkbox. When was it going to end? Now you're right, I shouldn't stop on the achievements. However, I get to feel fulfilled and whole with being enough. This is a conversation a lot of people are having is feeling not enough. Yeah, and and uh, you know, what came up for me when you were saying that was, we get to feel fulfilled and whole without crossing a finish line. I mean, It's the journey itself, not the destination. This is what I say to people in trainings. You know, transformation is a journey with no destination. The the journey itself is the destination. Mm -hmm. And so fulfillment is not about achieving anything. Mm -hmm. Fulfillment is about being connected and present in the moment. Mm -hmm. And it's a choice. Like- If I am choosing in the moment that I am enough, and this is enough. Now, it may not be the be all end all. I might not be at whatever line I was heading towards. 
I may not have reached a, you know, the top of the ladder or the top of the mountain or whatever, you know, but what if I could be fulfilled every step along the way, like fulfillment being defined by my ability to be fully present in the here and now. Mm -hmm. And it isn't about boxes checked. It isn't about how much money is in my bank account. It isn't about how many, you know, awards are on the wall or, you know, accolades on my resume. It's not about any of that, is it? it? What if it really comes down to a choice that I make in the moment in which I can act, I can authentically say, this moment is enough. This moment, I am enough. Doesn't mean I stop there. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean there's not more. Mm -hmm. But in this moment, so I, you know, I was going to go from this thought to the next thought, which was, so how do we, how do we lead women to deal with burnout? and stress. And I just think I answered that question, at least for me. And I'm curious about your thoughts on that, the, you know, like the antidote to burnout and stress being this moment is enough. And I'm enough. Yeah, I'm fulfilled. I'm already fulfilled. I don't, I can go, I see there's further to go. There's more work to do. I'm not stopping here. But in this moment, I am complete. What are your thoughts about that? I I am so aligned with that because this this is really tying in beautifully to what we've been talking about where ultimately if we believe if each of us believes we are enough, we're not trying to fill in. We're not trying to chase anymore. We're not in, you know, part of the burnout is because if you're running and running and chasing and chasing, imagine if you're physically doing that. That's yes. exhausting. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely exhausting. Mm -hmm. And there are other ways to also achieve. There are other ways instead of just going for the thing, which is also a very masculine paradigm, that very like focus, let me go, let me get it versus, yeah, what's here, right here, right now. And being able to desire for more. There's never a limit on our desires. Yeah, But we live in a society that, you know, if people were fulfilled, Judith, we would have no economy because we have an economy based on just spending. There'd be nothing to buy. There'd be nothing to fill. There'd be nothing to fill the hole that we're feeling, right? We, I mean, it would just, it, it would cause like a whole economic breakdown. And that's the truth is that fulfillment, again, to me is another revolution to be present. Yes, yes. Yes. And including an economic revolution, including a complete transformation of the system, you know, to move from a consumer based mm -hmm. consumer oriented system where like you just described, you know, our economy collapse if we were would collapse if we were fulfilled and we weren't buying, yeah. we didn't keep buying stuff. But what if our system was based on uh, what we can contribute, what we can give, what we can create. I mean, I know this sounds pie in the sky and idealistic. And I, I have to admit here, I am an idealist. I mean, archetypally, astrologically, 
I'm a double Aquarian. You know, we are all about, you know, peace and love and brotherhood and unity and joining <laughs> and, you know, that I, I'm right there with the new beyond. I mean, I can't be anything but what I am. I'm surrendered to that. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that thought, but <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, I, I'm just chuckling because it's like, I'm there with you too. You know, people think that I'm very positive and very hopeful. And, and I, I think, why not? Why not? Well, what's the alternative? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're seeing the alternative and at, at some point I, I believe that life and is so much bigger. The cosmos is so vast. I mean, there's so much there that let's start looking at the beyond. Well, let's the web look. telescope is already showing us that. Is that not amazing? It's beautiful. I, I just feel so blessed and fortunate to be alive, to be on the planet right now. Uh, you know, for all of the, I'll use this Yiddish word, Mishagas, for all of the disruption and the chaos that is happening on the planet right now. The Aquarian, the double Aquarian in me, the transformational leader in me knows that this too is purposeful. This too yes. is serving a purpose. This has to happen. It cannot be any other way. We are in what some are calling the great turning. You know, we are in the great collective transformation. This is not just a process that's happening where you and I live in the US, this is in the collective. Mm -hmm. And so we are all going through this together as humanity. And we, I, I personally feel so fortunate that my life has spanned two centuries, two millennia. You know, I've stood as, you know, as have you, in the 20th century, in the 21st century, you know, and that I've made it to this age and I plan on being around for a few more years mm -hmm. that I get to be here, not only to witness what's happening, but also to hold space for it. And, and, you know, in my own way to, to be a leader, to inspire and support and enroll other people to step into their own leadership, to step up now, you know, to, to answer their calling, to answer the calling that they came to be here yes. to represent on the planet. And I really want to acknowledge you for doing that as well, Shazia, mm. that you heard that calling and you, you had the courage to step away from a successful and lucrative career as an engineer working for Fortune 500 companies to step into responding and answering your own calling. And um, so I have a couple of questions for you that I'll use to kind of bring this all together and tie a bow on this conversation, even though I know it could go on longer. <laughs> I know I could talk to you forever, Judith. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. So let's just, let me just take us here. Um, one, where do you see yourself in 10 years? You know, I haven't actually thought about it. So in 10 years, I will be in my early 50s. And 
What's really important to me is that I do feel fulfilled in my life. And I don't know what that looks like. Like I can't say, because I, I actually, if I were to look at my life today, I really have all of the things and I'm so grateful for that on the outside and on the inside. Mm -hmm. So for me, I, I really hope that I continue to move forward courageously and don't hold back. That's what I would hope for 10 years from now is to see the fruits of continuing to show up and not playing it safe. What would be your biggest dream, your wildest vision, your biggest imagination of who you're being? Okay, so I have this one vision. All right, come okay. on girl, cough it up. Okay, this is what I really imagine. So one of the things that I, I would love to do is, because I also really like to be leisurely and enjoy my life. So I wanna be a change maker from behind the scenes. I imagine having tea in the garden with Oprah, Michelle, Mindy Kaling, Alicia Keys, like all these amazing women, other change makers who will come up, have come up. But I imagine us sitting and having tea in the garden and then deciding, you know what? It's really important that we make a change here, here, and here. And then all of a sudden, because of all the people we know, it just disseminates out <laughs> and it ripples out into the world and the world is just changing. It's almost like, you know what they talk about? Oh, the people, like the people who are controlling everything. Like, what if that was us? Yes. It would be an amazing world. Yes. That's what I want. It is us. <laughs> my, my dear it already is us. Mm. Yeah. And we get to own that. It already is. Mm. That being said, final question to you, my dear. <laughs> if you could go back to a younger version of yourself at a point in your life when you were lost, when you were struggling, you know, you described a, a time when you, you know, you lost your son, you lost your marriage, you didn't know what was next. You really didn't know who you were or what you wanted. If you could go back to yourself, maybe at that age, or if there's another age, even younger, if you could go back to a version of yourself as who you are today, knowing what you know, what would you want to share with her? The one who was lost, the one who maybe was scared, what would you share with her? You know, I actually think of myself as a little girl and wanting so badly to fit in. That's mm -hmm. the time I'm remembering. I really wanted to fit in. I wanted to be quote unquote normal. And I would go back and tell my little girl self that, oh, you were never normal. You are <laughs> so special. Mm. And you you just be as big and vibrant as a special girl that you have come into mm. this world as mm. and don't hold back. Don't mm. even hold back for a second. Mm. There is you, you could never fit in because you just, you, you're just, you are just too much to fit in too much in a beautiful way. So you didn't come here to be normal. No. Yeah. That's so true. Oh, that's such a beautiful, empowering message 
to your younger self. So guess what? You are your younger self today of your older, wiser self. You know, somebody my age, I'm twice your age almost. So remember those words. Because mm. someday your older, wiser self will have a few gems to drop in your lap from that place down the road, let's say 40 years from now. Yeah, I'm going to take this with me. Thank you. Do. Yeah. Do. Shazia, thank you so much for spending time with me and with us on the podcast today. I have so enjoyed our time together. This has been a really juicy conversation. So thank you. Thank you. I really appreciated being here. I appreciate the richness of our conversation. And I think you are living to your namesake <laughs> beautifully because I feel like we just really touched on so many things and I feel very full. So thank you. Thank you. I feel very fulfilled. <laughs> and thank you all for being here with us. Until next time, God bless. Let me take a moment to thank my producer, Justina Nielsen, and all of you, dear listeners, for being here. Now that we're in season two, we're no longer an infant podcast. We're now a toddler. And you know how toddlers are. Their legs are still building muscles so they can stand strong and begin to take off. Well, so are we. This toddler podcast is ready to grow and we need your support. If you're someone who likes to read reviews, like me, before you invest your time or money in something, but you haven't yet written one yourself, here's your chance to make a difference. Please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple, or if you listen on Spotify or other podcast providers, please give us five stars. I so deeply appreciate your support in helping this toddler learn to walk, run, and yes, even eventually fly. So thanks for being with us on this journey to the new beyond. Until next time, many blessings. <laughs>